think there's a lot of truth in that. Watching Brother Fleur stand up here, he always puts me in mind of Dr. Seitler. I know somebody might take issue with that, but that's what he does. And so I'm, I'm so thankful that missions is an important, uh, it's not important, it's the heart of Tabernacle Baptist Church. And uh, we never need to lose that, not only on the foreign field, but I think we ought to keep that same heart for Greenville, South Carolina as well. And both those. Brother Dave was so encouraged. Come on, son. Um, Brother Dave was so encouraged. How many did we have out yesterday door knocking? Had 35 people out of our church door knocking yesterday. It was a blessing. Trying to tell people about Jesus. And uh, that's such a blessing. All right, what you sing for us? The trusting heart to Jesus clings, nor any ill forebodes. But at the cross of Calvary sings, praise God for lifted loads. The passing days bring many cares, fear not, I hear him say. And when my fears are turned to prayers, the burdens slip away. Singing, I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing, I go along life's road, for Jesus has lifted my load. He tells me of my Father. Never slumbering I, my everlasting King above, will all my needs supply. Singing, I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing, I go along life's road, for Jesus has lifted my load. I find the promise true, the mighty arms upholding me will bear my burdens too. Singing I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing I go along life's road, for Jesus has lifted my Our Young Adult Conference starts Wednesday night, so we will have a guest speaker Wednesday night. I think Brother either Tim Fallur will be speaking Wednesday night or maybe Brother Tony Shirley. Um, I encourage you to be in your place, but then the conference will be that Thursday and Friday. And we'll probably have close to 200 young adults here that we want to try to encourage that are living for Jesus. And uh, I think I'll just put a little plug in there. Not every millennial is living for themselves. Some of them are living for Jesus Christ. That's right. As many as 200 showing up here Wednesday. So I encourage you to be here. I think it'll be a great blessing. Please pray for that as well. Take your Bible and I'm going to be in 1 John tonight. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. Appreciate Brother Dave preaching uh, in my absence there. And by the way, I, I appreciate, I, I'm not going to ask you how many of you pray for me. 
But I appreciate your prayers for me. On Wednesday I was traveling after leaving from here going to Columbia. And um, I, I haven't been in an accident, a wreck now in probably 20 plus years. Last wreck I was in was with my son. And uh, I think he was about four years old at the time. And uh, I was in a free car accident on the interstate. And um, so I think somebody was praying for him because the lady that lost control of her car was sitting across the interstate and there's nowhere to go with her and God stopped my car about I'd say probably a foot and a half from hitting her car. And then the car behind me hit me and that was you know not pleasant but it didn't really hurt the car that much but there was an 18 wheeler behind that. And I thought if that 18 wheeler doesn't get stopped we are all in big trouble. And, and that 18 wheeler got stopped. I walked into church and told one of the preachers there at the meeting and he looked at me and he said, Preacher, I think the devil's trying to kill you. And I thought, you know, if that's true, I'm glad that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But I appreciate, I appreciate the prayers. Jeremiah 38 this morning, I probably preached this message about a year and a half ago. And uh, I, I don't try to preach, repeat messages, but I feel like I ought to preach it this morning. So Jeremiah chapter 38 in your Bible, we're going to read a few verses. I don't expect to get out at 12, but that'll be okay, right? So let's just, let's just go ahead and look in the Bible, see if we can get a little help this morning. Jeremiah 38, the story is that you have the people of God, Samaria, they are surrounded and, and uh, there, is, there is death waiting. And there is certainly opposition outside the walls. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 38, Then Shephatiah the son of Matan, and Gedaliah the son of Pasher, and Jukal the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, He that remaineth in this city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, but he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life for a prey and shall live. Thus saith the Lord, This city shall surely be given in the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the prince has said unto the king, We beseech thee, Let this man be put to death. For thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in this city, and the hands of all the people, in speaking such words unto them. For this man seeketh not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. Then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Now when Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon... The king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil, and all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from Hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, and went into the house of the king under the treasury, and took thence 
old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords in the dungeon of Jeremiah. And Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, Put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes and under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now what you just read, I want you to get into your mind the picture first. You just read an account of a man that has been put into a dungeon. A dungeon, unlike a prison, is something that is always lower. It's underground. It's going down into the dungeon. That's why the Bible says that in the dungeon there was no water but mire. Some people say that that meant that there is sewage that has gone through there, and that may or may not be true, but all I can tell you is this. Because the dungeon is lower, that it's a very dark place, it's a very damp place, it's a very desperate place. It is not a place you want to be. And Ebed-Melech, this Ethiopian, says if he stays there, he's going to die. He's not going to live. If you leave him there in that condition, king, he is going to die right there. And so you have Jeremiah. His life is dependent upon another man. And if that other man doesn't do something for Jeremiah, Jeremiah is going to die right there in that pit. Now, I don't believe that anybody can be pulled out of the pit of hell once they enter into that place. Hell is a real place. Can I get an amen right there? Hell is a place that was created for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place of torment. And once you breathe your last breath, contrary to what Brother Fleur just said, when he breathes his last breath, he's going to heaven. If you're unsaved, when you breathe your last breath, you are headed to a place called hell if you're not born again. And once you land in that place, there is no one, including God, that can release you from that place. When you think about where people are in this world, when it comes to fentanyl and it comes to crystal meth and it comes to all kind of things that have to do with, uh, you know, vice and hurt. And, and so many people in this world right now are literally living in a dungeon. They are underground. The people in Ukraine, many of them underground, not knowing what's going to happen on the next day. And they're very dependent upon somebody else doing something to help release them and relieve them. There are people in Ivory Coast. There are people in Brazil. There are people in Korea and North Korea and they're lost and they're without Jesus but they're also hurting and they're sick and they're troubled and they're in a place that they do not know how to help themselves and if somebody doesn't get a burden for those people and if somebody doesn't see them and take action, they're going to not only die where they are but they're going to end up in a place called hell for all eternity. That's why missions is so important. So important. Well, in seeing that picture for sake of time, I've got four lessons that I think we can learn from this passage. The first lesson, if you look at the end of verse number two, the Bible says that these people heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken. These are words that Jeremiah is speaking. So Jeremiah is preaching about what is going to come to pass. Then if you look in verse number 2, thus saith the Lord. Verse number 3, thus...
saith the Lord. So the words of Jeremiah and the words of the Lord are the same. What Jeremiah is saying is not something different than what God wants him to say. He is saying exactly what God wants him to say. And listen, here's the first lesson I think we ought to learn. Number one, you should never change the Word of God for any reason. There is no reason that the Word of God should be changed. Well, it's not a positive message, and it's not a very encouraging message. Well, I agree with you. If you look there in verse number 2, the Word of the Lord that Jeremiah is speaking says, if you stay in this city, you're going to die by the sword, by famine, or by pestilence. In other words, you're going to die violently, you're going to die empty, and you're going to die sick as you can be. That's what's going to happen to you. And I'll tell you right now, sugarcoating the truth that people end up in hell and suffer torment is not a way to keep people out of that place. I really believe with all my heart there probably ought to be more preaching on hell than we hear. I'm probably part of that problem. And nobody, nobody, unless you have an idea that it is enjoyable to preach about hell or that we ought to get some satisfaction about preaching about torment. Listen, there is, there is no joy and satisfaction in men being tormented throughout eternity. But it, is, but it is a truth. Well, that, that's a hard message, so we need to change that. Let's, let's make a place called purgatory in between the two. There is no such place as purgatory. There is no place between heaven and hell. It's either heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ or hell because you reject that truth. I know that's not a popular message, but it gets worse. Look there in verse number 2. He says, but he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans, that's the enemy, that's Babylonian army. He that goeth forth to the Chaldeans shall live. So there is a negative message. If you stay where you are, you're going to die. And if men stay where they are religiously, if they stay where they are without Christ, they're going to die and go to hell positively. But if you'll go out, you can live. There's a solution. The solution is you've got to leave your culture and you've got to leave your religion and you've got to leave your corruption and you've got to leave your comforts. You've got to leave the inside walls of this city and you've got to go out to the Chaldeans if you want to live. Hey, are you listening to me? That means you've got to leave your religion and you've got to leave your sin and you need to go out to Jesus Christ and if you'll go out to him, you'll live. That's not a popular message. No, because I like my religion and I like my sin. And after all, God is a loving God and we ought to just enjoy what he's given us. Hey, I'm telling you right now, if you stay where you are, that's a negative message, you're going to die. The positive message is, if you'll leave your sin and you'll leave your religion, you can go to Jesus and you can find life. Life, not death. That message doesn't need to be changed. Well, we just need to find a book like 40 Days of Purpose and we'll give everybody a purpose. You don't need a book telling you about the purpose of life. You've got a Bible that tells you about the God that made the purpose for life. We don't need a new gospel. We need to preach the same gospel that God gave us. Right. The Word of God should never be changed. It shouldn't be changed because your children go the wrong direction. It shouldn't be changed because your grandchildren go the wrong direction. It shouldn't be changed because sister churches decide that they no longer want to live after that manner. Hey, it shouldn't be changed because Fox News put out a poll and this many Americans are in the majority and say we ought to live like this. Hey, the Bible, the Bible should be changed for no reason. Ever. Ever. And if I ever do that in this pulpit, you have full liberty to come pull me aside after service and say, Preacher, you said the Bible should never be changed. 
We don't need you preaching in the pulpit like that. I'm not going to get up here and correct the Bible. The Bible corrects me. I'm not going to bring the Bible up to the standards of society. Society needs to come up to the standards of the Bible. Jeremiah preaches the truth. The Word of God should never be changed. Secondly, if you look down there in verse number 4, Jeremiah is just preaching. He's not drinking. He doesn't have a weapon. He's not doing anything to anybody, just saying, Thus saith the Lord, verse 4, Therefore the prince has said unto the king, We beseech thee, let this man be put to death. We want to kill him. We want to see this man die. And the second truth that I want you to understand is this, that God's people have a fierce opposition and enemy. And it doesn't matter how loving we are and how kind we are. You have an enemy that absolutely detests the Savior that saved your soul. You have an enemy that detests your church and the Bible. You don't have to have a weapon. You don't have to be selling drugs. You don't have to be doing something hurtful to people. All you have to do is say, I love Jesus and I love the Bible and I love the church. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find an enemy that is absolutely full of hatred towards you. I mean, to me that is so extreme. Jeremiah is preaching and they say, let's put him to death. That, that, is, that is beyond normal. That is somebody that is just full of wrath. Oh, my, full of hatred. You know, that reminds me of the devil. Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says that the devil came down having great wrath. The Bible later on in the same chapter said that the dragon was wroth with the woman. I hate the devil. I absolutely hate the devil. Because the devil hates God's people. And he's full of wrath and he's full of vengeance. And he is, listen, he is dead set on inflicting as much suffering as he can. The reason I say that is because, look, the Bible says not only they want to put him to death, but they want to take him, put him in, look in verse 6, then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon. They threw him and they cast him in the dungeon where there's no hope and there's no light. And there's no help, not even from the government. In fact, maybe that would be good for to point out as well. Verse 5, then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is in your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. I'm going to tell you right now, hey, hey, Christian, if you're looking to the government to help us out of where we are and to change the playing field, you're looking in the wrong place. Now, I believe we ought, to, we ought to vote for people that have the right kind of principles. I believe that God does put men in office to take and try to lead the country in the right direction. And, we, and listen, we ought to support them. But government by man is limited in its ability to help people that are trying to live for Jesus Christ. So we don't, demand, we don't depend on them. You know who we depend on? We depend on one that's got a little bit more power than they do. <laughs> we depend on one that's got a little bit more authority than they do. I'm not trying to please the governor of the United States. I'm trying to please the governor of all men. So what I'm saying is, that we have to understand we have an enemy that is fierce in its opposition. You parents, you grandparents, as much as you love your children and you love your grandchildren, if you're trying to raise them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Satan 
fiercely hates them and wants to destroy them. He wants to get his fingers around their neck and get his fingers around their mind and he wants to twist and he wants to cut off their ear. Oh, I hate the devil. He wants to destroy their life. Thank goodness we have a God that's bigger than him. Amen. That's why you need to keep pushing your children to Jesus Christ. We don't need some place in the middle between Satan and God, between darkness and light. We want to get our kids as close to the Lord as we possibly can. You have, you have an enemy that's fierce in their opposition. Fierce in their opposition. I believe that's going to grow in days to come. And then the third lesson I think we ought to learn from this, if you look in the Bible, the Bible says, after they had cast Jeremiah into the dungeon, verse number 7, Now when Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, he was moved by that. Third thing I think that we ought to do is, we ought, we ought, we ought to remember this, those that are held captive by Satan need a friend that can bring them to freedom. I, I look at this passage, it's amazing. Ebed-Melech, he's an Ethiopian. He's a black man. He's not like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a Jewish man. Jeremiah has olive skin. Ebed-Melech has black skin. These, these two men are very different. Their cultures are very different. The, the culture in Ethiopia, very different from the culture that is in Israel. And yet Ebed-Melech decides, I'm going to do something to try to help him. The Bible goes on to say, look there in verse number 7, he was in the king's house. Come on, Ebed-Melech is in the king's house. Where he is, the food is a lot different. Where he is, the amenities are a lot different. Where you sit, where you stand. I mean, all the things that are true of the king's house, Ebed-Melech is able to enjoy. On the other side, Jeremiah is sunk up in the mire. And there is no, they are in totally different locations. Ebed-Melech in the king's house, Jeremiah in the dungeon. Ebed-Melech in Ethiopian, Jeremiah a Jew. And yet, this man that's an Ethiopian in the king's house gets a burden for the Jew that's sitting down in the prison house. And what he decides is, I need to do something to help that man. Oh, God, help us. God, help us not just to see ourselves and our culture. Help us to see there's a huge world out there. That there are people that have tattoos. Are you listening to me? That have tattoos up and down their arms. That have weird hairdos. That have all kind of problems with their clothes and where they live. You know what they need? They need somebody that's in the king's house to get a burden for somebody that's in the dungeon. And I'm so guilty of passing by those kind of people on a daily basis. I'm so guilty in the world that I live in and the, the church that I pastor and the, the things that we're trying to do in Christian education and in the college. I'm so guilty many times of living in my bubble, in my world, and never, never, never seeing. That's why the Bible says, look at it, the Bible says that when he heard, that's why we have a missions conference 
That's why Brother Fleur got up here to talk about what's going on down in South America. I'm going to tell you what, if you were in South America and you didn't have any money and you didn't have a Bible, you sure would be thanking God that somebody back in Florida got a burden to get a Bible your direction and you could read about the God of heaven on your own language. Amen. Brother David Edens, he got a burden for people that didn't even have a written language. And he labored there for years. People that were very unlike him. People of a different skin color. People of a different religion. People of a different culture. And what he did is he went there and he labored and it was hard. And you know what they found? They found out that there was a God in heaven. And you know now it's such a blessing. Oh my goodness. It's such a blessing to hear that they've taken and converted a mosque into a church where people can come and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be able to hear. Do you ever listen to the conversations around you at work? You ever listen to the conversations around you in your neighborhood and the places you are? He heard, and after he heard, look what he did. Look what he did. He heard, the Bible mentions the king in verse 7, verse 8. Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house, and he spake to the king. You know what he said? I don't have the ability to change that Jew's life. I, I I don't have the power to do it. I don't, I don't have the resources to do it. All the princes are the one that put him there in the first place. I've already heard all those princes are angry and mad that he's preaching, and they've taken and they've shoved him into that dungeon, and he's going to die there. So what I've got to do is I've got to go to somebody that's got more authority. I think I'm going to go to the king instead. So what he did is he went to the king, and he got in front of the king, and he interceded. And you know what? There's a lot of things that I can't do and that you can't do, but I'm telling you there's a God in heaven that knows how to bring all kind of people out of the pit they're in. There's a God in heaven. Listen, where men's solutions don't work and where the psychologist solutions don't work and where the reform programs don't work, there's a God in heaven that knows how to pull a man out of the pit he's in and set him free. Well, he met me like said, I, job's too big for me. I'm going to have to go to somebody that's got more power. So he goes to the king. King, is there any way you can help? Because if you leave this man in the condition he's in, he's going to die. Come on, I know there's many of you in here. If it hadn't been somebody that was praying over your soul and begging God to keep you out of hell and begging God to keep you out of jail, you know where you'd be today? You'd be in a whole lot place worse than where we're reading about right now. Well, boy, somebody kept knocking on heaven's door for you, and somebody kept going to the king for you. Hey, and the king got to listen to them, and he got to making something on your behalf, and he made a difference in your life. So we learn that those that are held by captive are held captive by Satan. That... Uh, they need a friend. They need a friend. That's people in your neighborhood. That's people you work with. That's people in your family. They need a friend. And so what the king does, the king helps him out there. And verse number 10, the king commanded. Well, we've got a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've been told he'd never leave us nor forsake us and supply our need. He says, take from hence 30 men with thee. I'm going to give you 30 minutes. I'm going to give you some people to help you. Boy, aren't you glad you got some people to help you in the problems that we face? Amen. Amen. Every missionary has somebody behind them that's enabling them to get the job done. 30 men. And then he says, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So he's got his command. You take those 30 men, you go get him out. Verse 11. 
Look at verse 11. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, and instead of going to the dungeon, he went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords in the dungeon to Jeremiah. Now, the, look, these 30 men have cords, and 30 men surely are going to be able to pull one man out of a dungeon. But Ebed-Melech said, wait a minute, guys, before we go down there and get him out, I need to take a stop for just a minute by the king's treasury where there's some resources. And he starts grabbing all these old cast clouts. If you look in your Bible, you can there's a reference for you if you want to chase it down in Joshua chapter 9, clouts or patches. All right, they're just patches. So he goes and he says, I'm going to grab some of these patches here and some of these old rotten rags, moth-eaten, corrupted maybe not even intact. And he grabs all these patches and these clouts, these rags, and he carries I'm sure somebody said, what are we going to do with those? And they get down there, and as they lower the ropes down to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, I want you to take those cast clouts and those old rotten rags, and I want you to put them underneath the armholes. We're going to pull you up out of that pit. But if we pull you up with the ropes we have with 30 men, it's going to hurt you. I don't know how many of you, is there anybody, has anybody here ever walked on crutches and you did it for long enough that instead of walking on the crutches and leaning on them, you're kind of leaning above them? You say, why would you do that? Well, if you ever walked on them, you'd know why I say that. Because it begins to rub you raw underneath. So they put these big, thick, padded foam things on the end of them. And sometimes that's not enough. I'm curious, any of you that ever walked on crutches, did you add additional wrapping to that? Anybody do that besides me? Add something on to try to figure out a way. And so what, the, what Jeremiah is being given is something to try to help make things a little more comfortable. That's my last lesson this morning. Number, number four, little things can make a big difference. Little things can make a big difference. So what Ebed-Melech does, he says, I want you to take and I want you to put those old rotten rags and those clouts underneath there, and it's going to soften the blow when we pull you up. It's going to make it a little easier on your arms. It's going to make it a little easier as we pull you up. And here's what I would tell you. I, I really believe this. I, I know that people need a friend, but I, I think for somebody to be drawn up out of a deep, dark dungeon, you know, the Bible's very clear in Jude 23, and some have compassion, making a difference. I really don't, um, you know, I, I have in past times, and I'm not saying I've just totally changed my thinking, that when you see somebody that's holding up a sign will work for food, I've tried to put some of those people to work, and they, they didn't want to work. Um, but then there's been other times that I just felt like, you know what, maybe I ought to go ahead and buy them something. I remember at a QT station, there was a man there, and, and, um, their car was broken down, older black man, and he said, um, can you help me out? He said, hadn't really had anything to eat. And I looked, and in the top pocket, in his top little pocket, he had a Gideon New Testament. I said, yeah, I think I can. So I went in, and I bought him some food, and I brought it out to him, gave it to him. I talked about the Lord. I don't know that he was saved. I don't know the Bible was representative of the fact that he was saved. You know, you can carry a Bible. You can have one in your pocketbook or in your car and not be born again. Putting faith in Jesus Christ is what makes a man born again. 
And there's been times that I probably haven't done all that I should, but a little act of compassion makes a big difference. The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Come on, how many think we have a good God? How many think he's good to you whether you've been good to him or not? How many of you think that his goodness to you has not been predicated upon how many times you've been good to him and, and how, how, how perfectly you've lived or how well you've done? I'm, t I'm telling you right now, you know why God's good to us? Because he's a good God. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He's, he, listen, God, God is a good God and the goodness of God leadeth, leadeth thee to repentance. Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth me. That's the same chapter that talks about being an ambassador for Christ. If I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ, the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth me. It's not just my duty. Well, I just need to tell you if you're a sinner, you're going to hell. There ought to be at least something behind that. There ought to be a hint of compassion, a hint of love, a hint of concern. And I'm telling you, Ebed-Melech has given us a great example. He's taking and he's putting underneath that man's arms something to soften the blow. We had a lady in our church. Their family came to our church in Alabama. And I, I, remember, I remember talking to her and, and and uh, saw her children saved. And, and uh, anyway, we got talking one day about why they started coming to our church. And she said, well, I'll tell you why we came. I said, why is that? She said, we visited your church. And it wasn't too long after that that one of the ladies in your church bought a homemade pie and put it on the porch with a little note saying, hey, we're so glad you came to church. And she said, I couldn't believe that a church would care enough for us to bring a pie like that out. And I thought if they would care that much about us without knowing us, I think I probably need to go to that church and see what's going on. Why did Ebed-Melech do that? Why in the world did he just not take the ropes, pull the man up, get the job done, set him free from the prison? But you do remember he is an Ethiopian. And he's not in the king's house because he's a prince. He's probably a servant. So what that man, in my mind, I'm just thinking this. Maybe the reason he showed some compassion to Jeremiah, maybe he'd been in a pit before. Maybe not only he'd been in a pit before, but maybe he'd been sunk up in mire before. Maybe he'd been in a deep, dark place and didn't think that he'd ever be able to make it out. And maybe somebody helped him out. And maybe along the way, maybe they were kind to him and not only gave him some hope, but also helped him a little bit along the way. Can I ask you a question? How many of you used to be in that deep, dark dungeon? Anybody here like that? No hope without God and have all kind of problems, but somebody loved you and somebody was kind to you. Hey, don't let the devil tell you you got to do something big to make a difference. Little things make a difference. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Jeremiah got out of the dungeon. Whoo! How many of you glad to be out of the dungeon? How many of you glad you're not going to a dungeon? Not for one second, not for one minute. How many of you think you've probably done enough in your lifetime if you tried to outweigh the good and the bad? You probably deserve to go to the dungeon, to go to the pit, to go to hell. You know what? I'm not going. You know why? Because I have a good God. I have a God that loved me. I have a God that died for me. I have a God that saved me. And then there's been some people along the way that have been good to me and been kind to me. And I don't deserve it, but I'm lifting my hands today and saying, God, thank you for freedom. Amen, Brother Bob. 
there are people in the Ivory Coast and there are people in Brazil and there are people in Ghana and there are people in Greenville and you know what they need? They need somebody that would be willing to be a friend to somebody held captive by Satan that might show a little compassion to help them out of the awful place that they're in. Maybe today you'd say, God, would you put some of those people on my heart and my mind? Would you help me to kind of look outside of myself? And if you'll put them on my mind right now, this service today, I, I'm going to do something. Pay a bill, some act of kindness, and I'm going to try to go to the king and spend some time saying, oh, king, if you don't do something, they're going to die and they're going up in hell. Oh, king, would you please give something to help? You stand to your feet, organ's going to play. Maybe you'd come to an altar today and you'd do that very thing. You'd just say, God, please put somebody on my heart and mind. Please help me to see beyond my own world. God, please help me. Help me to care. Help me to be able to make a difference. Maybe today some of you that got family members that we pray for, these baskets that have names, maybe today you ought to get on an altar and just talk to the king and say, King, for my boy, for my daughter, for my son, for my mother, God, would you please help? Would you help? Piano's going to play. The organ's going to play. <clears throat> and we're going to spend a little time praying today. How about that? people continue to tarry going to the king oh king
still have people praying. There is a there is a song that uh, that's being played right now, not in your hymn book, but I want Brother Hobart to sing a verse of that. We get to the chorus. It's pretty easy chorus. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom, and uh, I think that'd be a great way to end our service today. So he's going to sing the verse. I don't know where it says in there, but it talks about Christ being the great emancipator and. Uh, Abraham Lincoln doesn't know anything about emancipation. Jesus Christ is a great emancipator. Amen. And uh, so, won't go ahead. And Once I was bound by sins, in fetters, chained like a slave, I struggled in vain. But I received a glorious freedom when Jesus broke Amen. my fetters in twain. Glorious freedom, wonderful freedom, no more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus, the glorious emancipator, That's a great song. Say one more verse of that right there. Freedom from fear with yeah, fear. all of its torment. Freedom from care with all of its pain. Freedom in Christ, my blessed <laughs> Redeemer. He who has rent my fetters yeah, in vain. Glorious freedom. Wonderful freedom, no more in chains of sin I repine. Jesus, the glorious emancipator, now and forever he shall be mine. All right, God bless you. Turn to somebody and let them know you're glad to be free on your way out. <clears throat>